you please pronounce your name correctly for me? Natalia Evelyn Benchichova. Now, do you go by Natalia Evelyn or just Evelyn? Because I've seen it differently on social media versus your website. I go with both. But for my work, I usually use just Evelyn. But I don't mind also using both. Depends. All right. Now, where are you from? Because you have the OVA that is Czech. I'm from Slovakia. I was close. Yes, yes, yes. I was actually born when it was still Czechoslovakia. Just one month before it was Slovakia. So Slovak Republic. So I sometimes even say that I'm a bit older than Slovak Republic. So yeah, I'm from Slovakia. I'm from capital city, Bratislava. One of the things I always love to know about people is how did they sort of get made? So like, were your parents creative? Was there some teachers? That, like, how did you come to coming into the creative industries? It's hard to say that. I cannot really pick one influence. My parents are not working in the creative fields and don't have, let's say, like knowledge of art. But I would not say that they are not creative people. So, for example, they always supported me in reading, drawing, and so on. But to kind of really point on one interest, it's quite difficult. It could be many people, situations around me, and it cannot be reduced to one, which would make like big difference in comparison with the others. Okay. Now I want to do something I've never done before. Now, back in 2018, you entered a competition, Lens Culture. Mm -hmm. Do you remember doing this? When you say so, yes, probably it was in this year. You entered many competitions, I can tell by the look of your CV, but let's just go with, believe me on this. I do portfolio reviews for Lens Culture, and it turns out that after you agreed to be on the podcast, I was like, you know, the, your images look very, very familiar. So I went back through the records. Um, I'm the one who did a portfolio review for you. Oh, nice. Anon anonymously at the time. Yeah. And for the, and this is the first time I've ever actually told somebody like, oh, I did the review for you. So did it, did it help in any way? Do you remember it? I, I know I was involved in this. Uh, as it was a couple years back, I don't remember, for example, with which project. But for me, overall, being exposed on different platforms, medias, or in case of some awards or competition, has been great in pushing my work further and showing it to a wider variety of people. So for me, that's why I do it also, that I know it can, it can bring the newer audience to me and my work to a newer audience or different audience. Yeah, to be honest, you, you seem to be quite a, what I would call like a hustler, like you uh, are really working very hard. You have gotten into many, many exhibitions. I mean, your CV is only, let's see, from 2015 is sort of when you started. So in six years, you've probably done more exhibitions and been parts of more I don't know, just, not just exhibitions, but online stuff as well, than a lot of people in most of their careers. So like you seem to work very hard at this. Do you, how do you do this? Is it networking? Like, do you go out and physically meet people? Is this like social media? Is it uh, entering competitions? So like, how are you putting all this effort in? I think it's combination of all of it. The first, the most important is of course, to create work. 
that for me is always the priority. So I think without creating the work, without putting effort into it, it's hard to just focus on the other things because the quality of the work is, of course, that what when you apply is going to bring you there. But as you said, also the other point of applying, of searching for possibilities to showcase your work is then also very important. I studied fine art in Vienna for six years. I just finished this February. So I was also in this setting of more traditional fine art students, which are producing work all the time, of course, and thinking about it. But there I could see the difference as I was also involved in more applied photography world that for me, this thinking, okay, I produce a project, but where it can be shown, how it can spread, how it can bring to me the possibility to work on more projects, either by support of winning an award or by getting a client who would collaborate with me. So for me, these things were always connected. Even though sometimes when I feel it was too much on the side of working on exhibitions or writing grants or other things which are not connected, like on the first place with creating the work, but kind of the background. When I do this too often, then I start missing creating and then I have the feeling okay I'm very happy that my work is around but it's important for me to develop that more than anything else now wait so you just finished school recently your fine arts education because like I've looked through your work and I've looked through your CV and everything and the the thing that struck me is you do both commercial work what I guess you would call applied photography and and fine arts works and to a certain extent, like I personally af- now after 20 years out of grad school have realized that that education of the commercial arts or the pl- applied arts would be incredibly beneficial for almost any fine artist. That's but it doesn't true. actually go, it doesn't go the other way around. So like, be, you know, being 100% fine art with no commercial knowledge, it, I think is actually a bit detrimental in many ways. It's needed, of course. I mean, maybe not for everyone. Also, people have different ways of how they make their career and where they want their work to be shown. For me, to work on this kind of project has been also for practical reasons because I had to sustain my life. (laughs) So I had to work during my studies. But I find it that that was not the only thing which it gave to me. It actually gave me structure, how to work with other people, how to collaborate, also how to let go sometimes, even when you don't reach the level of the perfection, how you imagine, because that almost never happens. And in this attitude of the applied or commercial, if you if you call it that way, can be also called that way, photography forces you to do that. And I have to admit, which I'm reflecting on only now, I'm realizing as I finished the university and as during my studies, I had to work on a project which were not just personal project, not just mine, and where I had to do a couple of compromises that I kind of missed the possibility to focus only on the artistic side which many other students had, let's say the students who didn't have to work, but I think 
at the time it was really important for me and that doesn't mean that I can't focus on it right now. I'm also thinking about studying further, but as you said, this is also very important knowledge, which you have to, not have to, but which you can shoot. I don't want to like force anyone into it get to you because even if you're artist you have to deal with people you have to know what your work is worth you have to know how to organize things and for me this my working practice not my studying practice was really beneficial in this but i often met with this opinion as i attended the department of classical fine art there is also design department with applied photography which was not there when I applied for my university, I often met with this opinion that art and everything else is very separated from each other. I don't know how to really call this everything else because I don't want to call it commerce because not every job which is collaborative, which is editorial or where we are working with institution is necessarily a commerce. And I was always kind of trying to connect these two things because I always saw, even as a child, as I didn't have access to art institutions or art education, when, when, when I applied for university, it was something totally new for me. I often had a feeling that art world in itself, it's quite elitarian uh, or that it's, it's kind of not accessible for everyone. You don't say. Or it seems so. You know, like, for example, in Slovakia, I think most of the population don't go to galleries or are not so familiar with this. And when I started to study art, before I was accepted for the university, it was also not on the first time, I really felt, wow, this is this world which is so far from me. I don't know if I ever get a chance or I don't know if I understand it but once you are there and you see okay maybe it's more the position where where it's putting itself which is making it look that way and for me it's been always a goal to make something which is accessible in that I also saw a chance in this what I called applied or commission work which is not necessarily always in the gallery, which is, for example, in a public space or is spreading to the public through magazines, platforms, and is not so close between walls or between some very high language. And for me, I see my role in what I'm doing there, you know, like to work in different layers to create something which is interesting for people, but which also allows them to dive deeper into it if they want. And if they don't, still, it can be valuable. Oh, yeah. The arts world is very elitist in many ways. And there are many places in the world that people don't have access to art education or museums or any, any form of galleries. I mean, we're very privileged in America and Europe and these kinds of places to have at least access to these things, much less taking advantage of it. Yeah, and we are very privileged, for example, in Germany or in Austria, also in Slovakia, but I went to study to Austria that I didn't have to pay for this education, which I guess it's much more difficult in US or Great Britain. Fuck yeah, you. 
I'm so envious of that. I really wish I had known about that when I was younger and taken advantage of that. I'm still paying off student loans to this day. I'm 20 years out. Yeah, I'm very thankful for this. Uh, I wanted to study outside of Slovakia. And sometimes people ask me why I chose study in Vienna. And it was not that it would be my preferred choice out of everything, but also this that I can study and don't have to take the loan or don't have to work two side jobs to do that because I would have to otherwise. That was that was great, great privilege to just attend all these courses with the people who have much bigger knowledge and learn from them. Well, you mentioned like being a foot the right now you're a full time photographer and that when you were in school you had to work other jobs. Now I mean are you at this point full time photography and that's your only job? I would say I was actually working in photography more during my studies because it was my main focus and I was really focusing more on commissioned jobs. Now I'm kind of keeping it in balance. So I still like to do commission jobs, but as I can afford it right now, only the ones which are interesting for me. I was also in the period when I just did everything, <laughs> just for you to understand. Now I'm maybe a bit more selective with my time and with the projects where I know, okay, I have something to contribute or this is something where I can count with more collaborative practice. In the same time, I'm trying to work on my own projects or like personal projects, which are often collaborations. And these are more long-term projects. So I would not say that I'm photographer full-time. Also, not photogra- photography is not only thing I'm doing and only thing I'm focusing on. So it's still part of what I'm doing, but I don't like to define myself with it too much. What else do you do? I work on other things. For example, I collaborate a lot on the pieces which are mostly done in 3D or in virtual reality, on audiovisual performances, and sometimes they are not photographic at all. Okay, but you're a full-time artist, let's say. So one way or another, like all of the different projects you're working on are sort of artistic in their merit and their and their style. Yeah, visual creative full-time. Okay, so that's the term you want, visual creator? I was always kind of feeling really unsure to call myself artist. So when people ask, who are you or what are you doing? I would say visual creative because it's true. I work mostly with visual and uh, I'm trying to be creative. Well, it, it just like that, those definitions that are put onto us or that we give to ourselves, like there was an old tradition that said uh, the term artist is only something that could be sort of bestowed upon you by somebody else. So you should yeah. never call yourself an artist, but somebody else can call you an artist. But then also like I always hated being called a photographer because I, I think it's very limiting when people says, oh, you're a photographer, because most people, if I say, oh, I'm a photographer, they go, oh, you know what? I've got a wedding coming up. Will you shoot my wedding? And I'm like, no, fuck you. I will not shoot your wedding. I totally feel you. And I kind of observe that a lot of people I know who are working mostly with photography, but not only, have this problem that as photography became such a part of our lives, as it is something with which we engage every day with our cell phones, 
which is something what everyone can do. This is also the opinion. Ah, everyone can do photograph. Yes, that's true. And that by being a photographer and kind of having as your job or as your task, making pictures, this is not true for most of the people who work with photography. Because I've always said for me to take a picture is really the least important. It's very important. It's just capturing. It's capturing what I did. And it's the last step and the step which takes me the least time. But everything what happened before and afterwards, it's actually what I do. And I think this is true for many people, even for somebody who does documentary photography. I think it's more this sensitivity for a certain moments, searching for them, going to the situation where they can get them and also deciding why to get them, choosing a perspective and to reduce photography to this click of the camera. I think it just happened in language. This is why people sometimes say it to you, maybe. I also take photos. Yeah, great. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I always, this is the reason why I always being defined as photographer felt it reduces me quite a lot. Yeah, I sort of, I've tried really hard over my lifetime to not call myself that. But the, on the flip side of it, I, again feel arrogant saying like oh I'm an artist like so it's like you fall between those two lines like I'm not a photographer so please don't ask me to shoot your wedding and I'm not a snobby artist either maybe I I personally might be a snobby artist but like generally you know I don't want to be perceived as that yeah so it, it's it, those those defining characteristics those sort of like boxes they want to put us in can be very limiting and annoying at the same time it's true because it keeps you in the box. And I think if I would get opportunity, just come somewhere and just take a pictures, it also would not be so interesting for me. Depends on what it would be, of course. I can say the difference when I'm somewhere and my main task is to be a photographer, but I can also judge that it's not so in most of the things I do. So you said that, you know the actual making of the work so the taking of the picture or making of the video or whatever it is 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 a very little amount of your time and effort so all the pre-production and all the thought and all the creativity then there's the taking of the picture and then of course there, these days there's also a lot of post-production and other sorts of things that goes on so like if you had to break down your work week how much of your time do you spend doing what Wow. <laughs> yeah, on average. I don't, not this week, I could break it more to a project maybe because, you know, like with weeks, it's, I usually have it that sometimes I have a week that whole week I'm just editing or whole week I'm just thinking about what to do. Shooting is usually shorter. But when I would break it down to a project, uh, then I would say to come up with the idea, which is usually for me not in a forced way, I usually don't think, okay, now I have to come up with the idea. It just comes naturally. But then to work on the idea that I know I would like to work with this topic, most of the time it is for me that I try to research about this topic, research what has been done before also, not that it would discourage me, but I want to know how it was already worked on. At the same time, depending on the topic, but usually the topics I'm interested in, they require a little bit of research because I'm also not the smartest person in the world. And I 
find it totally valid to read articles or to look at the information which are already there so I can grasp the topic better. So usually before I do something, depends on the project, but now I'm speaking of the project which I, which I consider most representative of what I want to do at the moment. It requires quite a lot of research, which is often reading. Sometimes it has form of interviews, meeting people who are connected to these topics and trying to find out more. Sometimes this is much broader than what you can see in the pictures. It's kind of a base for me, so I can think about how to put it into images. And then I try to think how to translate it there. So that's maybe the part with the pre-production when I'm searching for a place or I'm even deciding which medium to use. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes I'm photographing digital, sometimes I'm photographing analog, sometimes I'm not photographing at all and we do everything in 3D or in VR. I'm trying to also think for the best way to grasp the idea for the project and for the understanding. And of course, all the things around searching the right people I would like to work with. With collaborators, I have kind of steady teams. So that's for me quite easy but for example if it requires to find models or actors then I put quite a lot of effort into it not just how the person is looking but if it's possible also to know the person a little bit to know if they can relate to it to search for a place where I can kind of feel it and making sure that I create something or that we create something like a stage, which is prepared. Don't take it as a literal stage, more like conceptual stage where I have idea where we are heading, but that I can allow myself there enough freedom to experiment. Also to the other people who are attending this event that we know where we are heading for that the understanding of what we are doing is important and then we can kind of lose ourselves and go with the flow in the shoot, which often happens and it's much better than everything you imagined. And then when it's done, I have to say the selection for me, it's very difficult and very long process. I'm experiencing it with the project with, which I was shooting this summer and the photos I'm processing, I shot together in a couple hours. And I'm already selecting for like two months. <laughs> That's, of course, in commission projects has to be much faster. So it also teaches you this. But if it's something my own, then it takes quite a long time. And I'm usually even editing during selecting selection process, because when I'm looking at the picture a lot, it helps me also decide if it's good or not. And then editing process, which in my case is usually not so radical. I don't do a lot of edit. I do some edit, of course, which is more about colors and the mood, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing this like painting on photography or some crazy Photoshop skills. So. Yeah, it's the whole package. <laughs> and then, of course, as you mentioned, the last part, if this is not determined before doing it, where the project can be showcased, how how it can be exhibited maybe, and so on. Okay, 
there's so many things that you've just said that I want to come back to, but let's start with just the one thing at a time. You brought up 3D shooting and VR. Mm-hmm. How do you, I, I understand the logistics of it as far as like technically doing it, but like, how do you find clients these days? Or are they for clients or are they for your art, personal art? This is mostly for my personal work with 3D, I think it's possible. I'm proposing this. With VR, it's still very difficult. So this is personal works. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I could imagine there are a very limited amount yeah, of, of course. <laughs> yeah, clients yeah. that are interested in that. But okay, so do you own your own equipment? Because this is a little pet peeve of mine in the entire industry is like how expensive all the equipment is. Like me, I don't even own any equipment for photography anymore. I just rent it when I need it. Uh, so like with when it comes to like VR and 3D and, and then of course even, I know you've done work with like Hasselblad and things like this. So like, do you own all of your equipment or do you rent it? Like how do you sort of deal with the finances of just keeping up with the technologies? With photography equipment, I own it. I won Hasselblad Masters Award, so I won camera. Congratulations. That was very good. That's also like one of the reasons to apply for things because I'm using this camera also now. So a camera equipment I own. I'm also not such an equipment person, to be honest. I have just two lenses, fixed lenses which are also like making me decide, okay, is it wide angle or not? I don't have like too many choices. Then I have analog Hasselblad camera, which I bought secondhand. And I'm mostly using just one lens because I'm going, I'm traveling with it and so on. So I don't want to have the whole package. With the 3D and VR, no, I don't have. I collaborate with people. Especially for VR, it's very technically demanding. Uh, you need very powerful computer, and sometimes you need team of people, sometimes even coder, depends on how complicated it is, to execute what you want. So I'm working, for example, with NS Gooch on 3D. It's a very good friend and collaborator of mine who's very talented. And then with Iconospace, which are also my friends here in Berlin on VR. So in this, for all young creators who are into this, but don't have time or equipment to be the creators of this themselves, which I have to say takes years. I did some courses on learning how to use it, but to use it in a way how I would want would just take ages. Of course, I'm learning a lot as I'm working with my collaborators. I'm always sitting with them and we are looking at it together. So I also have better understanding of what is possible and how to do it. But I would never do these things without their help. So I always really encourage collaboration because in that you can bring things to each other. Yeah. So thanks to that, it's possible. All right. So you also talked about sort of the the process of doing this. And in that you were saying th- something about like coming up with your ideas and how you do this. I always wonder, like, because I find there are sort of two different kinds of creative people. There are the creative people that like have a concrete idea and they're basically they've like written their whole artist statement, let's say, before they've even created an image. And then there are people that create images and then sort of figure out why they made them afterwards. Do you, Which camp do you fall into on that? Both, really. I think to stick to the first one, which I experienced a lot in my university, it's really tricky. (laughs) 
I also never liked, which I had to do for my final work, for example, that you write the concept and descriptions two months before you do the work. That's for me very difficult because it's exactly that you put yourself in a box that this has to be the result and you kind of give up the process or like the new things which can come in a process. So I would say I'm more towards the second one. But as I said, I know where I'm heading, what's the topic, but usually I don't have images or scenes prepared. It ha- it, it happens for me in the process and that's also how I like it. That I think otherwise I would work in very machinic way. It definitely works for some people, especially for people who work more on a technical side, even in photography, that everything needs to be scheduled and thought about where's the light i in photography don't work in this way at all i know my topic but once i'm there i turn around experiment also speak a lot to the person i'm photographing and give them freedom to develop the story together and in this i'm actually getting sometimes much more excited than in case that everything works like i had in my head so i'm much more the the second case, I would say. But of course, I, I'm also not just going to shoot without knowing at all what I'm going to do. That almost never happened to me. So I think the healthy combination of both is ideal. Well, okay. Within that, though, one of my other um, uh, annoyances, but grievances about the contemporary art world is the need for us to write text. Um, I, you know, we all went into the creative fields, visual creative fields, because we don't know how to express ourselves as well, uh, in other mediums, specifically writing. And yet we're obligated these days to be able to write eloquently about our works. Now you seem to be doing a great job at it because you're getting lots of awards. You're doing lots of, you know, getting good clients. You, so that you seem to be, have achieved some skill level in grant writing or application writing or whatever, how do you approach these things? Uh, I mean, so like, do you have like a notebook that you keep with you every day that you just sort of jot things down and then you like write it all together? Or do you like at the end, you're just like, what do they want to hear? And that's, and you sort of just pander to them. Like, how do you come up with it? I have to say, I really enjoy writing. (laughs) Actually, it was my first creative form much before I started photographing because I started photographing only when I was yeah, 19, 20. I had very bad eyesight. So I never thought that my visual sense would be an advantage. I underwent operation then. And then I started photographing also. But before that, actually, I was writing as a child. I never saw it as anything professional or anything that could be my career just for fun. Then I didn't write for a long time. And now, as I also have to do it sometimes, I enjoy doing it. Not that it would come too easily, (laughs) that I just write something and it's good. I like to write in my own way. For example, sometimes for university or for certain purposes, it feels like you have to write in a certain way. They even did some like artificial intelligence, which wrote like curator because the way how traditionally curator should be speaking, it's so uniform that they could even like 
develop a program which writes something which sounds absolutely accurate. I really like to write in my own way. It's not always possible, I would say, but sometimes actually in writing about what you done, and that comes to your previous question, even with the images or with the scenes that you thought are just coming from you, that you cannot really reason them, that they happen kind of naturally. Once you have to write about them and you have to think about them, you actually realize why you did them. It's deconstructing in a way and really taking time to read even the image you yourself wrote and you can find their things between the lines. So I thought with the works where I had to write longer text, which is not all of them, for some works, it would be incredibly difficult for me. But when I had to, then in the process of writing, even though it might have been long and painful, I found out more about the work and I think it put it more in context and made it better. So even though it's annoying and I, I don't think it's necessary for all the work, even some artists I, I admire just use like very simple descriptions or not descriptions at all or don't like to give interviews or feel their work is actually better without description, giving more freedom to the viewer, not predefining what you should think about it. That's totally okay. And I also prefer it with some projects. With some projects, it's it can be addition to it. But, you know, like I don't think it's good to put any rules of it. It's again for me dependent on the thing itself, like the choice of medium, the choice, how much you describe it, how much of it you give away in words, how much you define the thoughts of the ones who sees it or reads it should be your choice. But of course, if you apply for a grant and uh, there is like, you have to write this amount of words and you write there one sentence, probably it's not going to be understood. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, I'm sort of pointing this at like submissions that require artist statements, grants, you know, I'm thinking competitions that include like some sort of bios and statements. Like, I was raised, well, I was, okay, I was taught at, at an era where there was a certain style of doing this kind of text. There was there was this sort of era of the certain type of text that was expected. And that that has changed. There's now a very different style expected. So like, if I've even gone back and read some text from exhibitions that I saw back in, let's say, 1990s. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so bad. Like, that would never pass muster these days. Like, people would read that and they'd be like, you're an arrogant, intellectual academic. And it makes no sense whatsoever because they would use big words and they would try to over-intellectualize it. Whereas now there's this sort of trend towards very much intimacy and personal attachment and engagement that I think a lot of people are still have difficulty trying to achieve that when they're trying to write their statements or their anything like that. Definitely. Actually, I had observation because I visited MMK in Frankfurt in last week. And there is exhibition about crib art. So basically art which deals with disability and physical or mental disability. And their whole text on the website had this option to translate it to simple language. So it's for people who cannot or don't want to read this complicated language. And 
I put this choice and it was amazing how this complicated text was broken down to something completely understandable. And then I thought it would be great if everything has this option. Because suddenly, even though I don't have any disability with reading, I could just understand it so on point and so better. You know, like I totally agree that some text has its poetic value, but with most of, let's say, professional text, it's hardly understandable. I was, for example, doing this collaboration with scientists in Austria, and I was supposed to translate their research into picture. So I read their research, and which was in English, and I read it and I had to write them like, sorry, I cannot understand it. Like, I cannot understand even single sentences. Can you please explain to me? And they were like, of course, it's so normal that you cannot understand it. This is our scientific language, which we can understand between each other. And then they broke down their concept to something which I could get and I could get what the research is about, but the language was limiting for me. And in this, I actually really love picture making because picture is a universal language. Of course, we have different ways to interpret it based on our culture background and so on, but it doesn't have this limitation of words and of different languages. So in this, it can actually be accessible to more people. Indeed. I mean, there is this horrible separation of the academics and in institutional and even granting. I mean, like, see, my pet, I, I, I'm going to, this is all about my pet peeves, but like, my problem is also like, there's a, a different vernacular even from region to region. So, like, I tried to find some grants at one point for uh, mobility grants. You've, you've, you know these, right? So like to travel kind of things. The, in one region, they're called mobility grants. In another region, they're called travel grants. And in another region, they're called something else. So like even just trying to express the exact same thing, if I'm looking in Norway or Germany or the Czech Republic or in America, they're all named differently. So like... I have this real big obsession that I really wish that the entire arts industry could come together with like a common vocabulary just to start with. Because like even things like artist residencies, you know, like, God, I I mean, I love artist residencies so much and I look forward to doing some in the future. But they they use such uh, – every culture, every region, every residency have, has its own vernacular. And, it, and then it falls back to us as the creative people to not only read whatever they wrote, their instructions and their, their mission statement and all this, and try to understand it. But then we have to sort of regurgitate it back to them. And that is so tedious and time-consuming and difficult. And I just hate that part of the process so much. It's the same with the technical terms. Uh, in photography, I think it's not so radical. But for example, when I hear my collaborators, Joris and Enes, speak together, sometimes I feel like I cannot understand what you are telling because they are really speaking in the technical terms of VR and 3D, which I would say, okay, move it this way. But there is a term for it, actually, which, of course, they always then say to me what it is. But when you just hear like them speaking to each other, you almost feel that you are totally foreign to it. Yes. 
I know. Technical people love their technical talk. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know. Same with academics. We love our intellectual speak as well. But, okay, I also have a question. So like, so you do exhibition works. I know that like, you've had some works at Photo... Oh, gosh, the one in Photographiska. Photographiska. Thank you. I'm so bad with their name. That um, when you make prints, so like, what? How do you choose? Well, I guess the question would be like, what kind of? How obsessed are you about like materials and then like scales and print runs and these kinds of things? These are the kinds of things as a photographer that I always sort of am fascinated. What other people choose to do? I have to admit, I was never too obsessed with it. Okay, I am. So okay, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm getting there also because, like, when I was doing most of my work earlier, I never even thought of it being printed. To be honest. Wow, you're so of a different generation than me. Yeah. Exactly, and also, you know, like things which happened to me, which I'm very thankful for, that I would have some work in a gallery or something when I was starting in the first years. I was never really thinking this can happen or that somebody would buy my work as a print. When I was starting, I didn't even know that it's an option because as I'm telling, I was not really aware of this like art sphere. So I was thinking I will work for a client and the photos will be used. And then you don't have so much touch on how it's printed, how it's used. Also, when you work for a magazine, you know, like often I receive the print and it's different than I would want, but I cannot influence what paper they are using or what print. And I'm just getting more aware of it right now as I'm more faced with seeing some of the work printed. But I have to say with certain, I, I have paper, which I like, and I usually work with the same printers and with the size that's interesting because that really depends again from a project some projects some photos i really like when they are big when for example the person on them is life size because that's how i want the the viewer perceives it on other pictures i actually like them to be very small if, even if there is possibility to make them bigger because I feel that's the pictures where I would want somebody to really come closer, to not be allowed the distance and to kind of enter it in a different way, if I can say it this way. So with the size, I have thoughts about it with particular projects, how I would like them to be presented. But with these materials and printing, I think this is the next thing I will make myself busy with, with something I'm working on right now, because I never really explored it. What are the printing possibilities? What I can do? What different materials to use? So this is, I'm, I'm quite a beginner in this, I would say. Because well, like I'm looking at your work and I like I have a particular paper that I have in mind that I would be like, oh my God, this would look so beautiful on this. But of course, I've only seen your work on websites. So like, there's a big difference between, you know, seeing specifically a photograph on a computer screen versus seeing it in reality because of those little subtle choices of things like, do you put it behind glass or not? Do you put it behind reflective glass or non-reflective glass? Do you put it, you know, and then of course, glossy surface, matte surface, so on, different kinds of things. What What's the paper you currently like? This finer, Hannah Muller Fine Art Barita I use mostly. I know it. Very lovely paper, yes. 
Yeah, and not not too glossy usually. Sorry, I'm giving like such a lame beginner answer, but I have to be honest, you know, like for me, I'm just realizing that that's part of creative decision. When I was starting or when I was starting, even like up till not very long time ago, I was not in charge of deciding or like making a choice. So it was more like I'm happy that something is printed. I love it how you say, like, when I started six years ago. Like, come on. <laughs> no, but like, let's say I started exhibiting properly like three years ago. So it's I still consider myself, I really take advice of people who are experts in this. But of course, I'm also trying to learn and trying to ask. I don't want to be this person who doesn't know anything and just rely on others, even though I really love to work with others but i also don't want to just be there like okay it's it's not it's not in my interest i would recommend epson hot press or cold press paper they are stunning as well absolutely gorgeous i mean don't get me wrong hamna mule the the paper you use beautiful paper i like that epson the specifically the the hot press and the cold press like oh so beautiful okay i will i'll definitely check it out but you're in germany so i'm sure hamna mule is much easier to get than epson i will check it out thank you for advice <laughs> i think i think with your work because of the minimalist quality to it the hot press probably will will be the the most uh, sort of expressive it's very beautiful saturation of colors i absolutely love that paper but i obsess about these kinds of stupid things that's good you know we have to share our knowledge and share our advices that's one of my biggest beliefs that i'm not this kind of person who keeps things for myself i really like to like exchange with others and that's also the reason why i sometimes get a lot back or not even back it's not like exchange process it's just doing it without expecting it has to be returned but i have to say I'm thankful to a lot of people for advices and for tips and all of these things. And I also want to give it back <laughs> or just give it. Well, it, it seems like, a, uh, I mean, it sounds bad, like a trend, but it seems like uh, the direction that the medium is sort of going, like back in the day, a photographer would often like sit back in their studio and smoke cigarettes and just, you know, drink wine and whatever. But like these days, it seems like there's a lot more collectives, a lot more collaboration, a lot more of these kinds of sharing than there was, you know, even 30 years ago when I started out. Because I remember at times, like literally, I'd be like saying to somebody like, hey, how did you do this? And they'd be like, I'm not going to tell you. Wow. And, I'm, <laughs> and I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, even if you told me every single thing that you did. I will never make something just like you. <laughs> so Definitely. Like, you know, I, I think this exists also now with some people. I respect it, but it's not my way. Oh, yeah. Wait, I got a question about that. So I have this opinion. It's totally my personal opinion from my own experiences, primarily in America, just to, to clarify this as well. I find that most male photographers are very um caddy and short and competitive and this kind of stuff is that true in europe and specifically also with women photographers it depends on the person in my case it's been always a lot of people willing to help and to advise also that i would like to your totally first question 
in Slovakia, there have been a couple of people who really helped me when I was starting. You know, like I didn't have money for a studio, so I was like assisting there sometimes, I could shoot there. So I myself experienced a lot of support. And I never, I think it goes both ways, you know, like when people feel that you are also open and not like that, then they also don't have the reason to keep things so tight. I'm also not a person that I would ask somebody like, what are you working on and go home and do it? <laughs> you know, like it's uh, maybe when person is in the crowd or in the mindset, on, or in mindset that they feel okay, I cannot trust anyone or like people around me are, I don't know how you say it English, in English, like without backbone, we say it in Slovakia. That, that works, yeah. Spineless. Spineless. Then they maybe have to feel like this, but I don't know. Like also, for example, where I live in Berlin, it's pretty open and I don't feel so much competition. I mean, competition in general is not a bad thing. You know, it's the way which also moves you forward and maybe m makes you path your way because, of course, I don't want to be, like, stuck in competing with someone for doing something similar. I want to develop it further or maybe make it different. We had this in Slovakia more, I would say, because it's smaller and people are very close to each other. And for example, I had this in one panel discussion a couple of years back because there's been a couple photographers in Slovakia in past years who dealt with the topic of socialism, which I also dealt with in one project. And somebody asked like, yeah, how is it that you are all like doing the same and it's similar? And I was kind of annoyed, not annoyed with this question. I actually found it really good. I was happy I could answer it because my opinion was, uh, yes, we are all taking from the same aesthetics, which is relevant to this topic. We are all coming from the same country where this is everywhere around us in architecture, in society. And the fact that couple people from one generation are taking one topic and doing something with it shows something much bigger that they are copying each other because I don't think also they are. It's just that suddenly the generation came which could grasp this topic differently that, than previous generation who lived in it and that at this time point something happened with years or maybe distance or change that this could be shown in some different way. So I, I thought or, or I said that, yeah, let, rather see it as, as some thought movement or like aesthetical movement, not just as something like between people. So yeah, I, I'm not too much stuck on this. Yeah, I mean, when I was an undergraduate, I had this guy, Chris, and he and I were sort of competing against each other. But I mean, we had other people in our classes, but like he and I were like, we were always competing. And I, like at the time, of course, it annoyed the fuck out of me. But in hindsight, looking back on it, I'm like, that was some of the most exciting times because I, by having that person, I mean, his work was completely different than mine, but we were always trying to push each other to do better. It's great. So like, competition is great, but 
as long as it stays in that sort of friendly pushing of way course. instead of like a caddy talking behind each other's back kind of way. Definitely. You know, like if it's in the form of motivation and challenging each other, I don't see anything wrong about it. If it's for the person, really something which is stopping them or like causing some form of hate, I don't think that will move you anywhere. You know, like it's also how you take it. Well, my concern right now, though, I mean, especially like with the next generation of people coming up, like when I was young, I my competition or my or the people I was even aware of, let's say, was a limited amount of people because you know, like I'm talking pre-internet time. So like I only knew of whatever artists were in bookstores or in exhibitions in my region kind of thing. But now your potential competition or your potential inspirations or things that could influence you or whatever is the world, <laughs> like, you know, between social media, websites, like virtual galleries and all this kind of stuff. Like there are so many things that could influence you both positively and negatively that I, sometimes I'm like, how do people still make work? Because like, if you paid attention to all that, it could just crush your spirits. It's true, but it is a fact. <laughs> there is no way to stop it. I'm also not against it. I find it really kind of democratic that, you know, like so many people can have their work exposed, which I think was really different back in the days. Also, my first pictures got known through internet, through Facebook back in the days, I think. All of them were deleted later because they contain nudity. But it was on Facebook when my work started spreading where, I, and I didn't really expect it also. So it was not a really traditional way, you know, that for example, that you study and somebody finds you there, which also can be the case or that you work. I think internet made it easier that the con, the connection, the contacts are maybe less important even though it's still important when you continue in your career, but you know, this first possibility to get your work out there, it's much easier, but it also makes it much more difficult to make it extraordinary because there is so much, so many wonderful works out there every day. And it's also really easy to be lost in this amount of images. So I think persistency and kind of continuing in producing work which is meaningful is really the way you know like it's not enough to make like one image which is internet hit and also I don't want to just be some internet hit <laughs> you know like and I think you can I had it also that I when I was younger and I started to do first things which were internet hit but today it's the work I don't see so highly let's say because for my criteria right now, it was more like shocking and visual, which is enough for that. But once you want to move further with it, you have to develop also. Yeah, and, and that evolution that we all have to go through as artists is always hard, especially like when you get 
let's say, good responses from certain works, it's like, to a certain extent, you kind of want to continue to do the work that people are appreciating, but in the same respect, you personally want to say, but I'm be- I'm more than that. I have more ideas than this, or more skills or techniques or whatever than that thing, or conceptual ideas. Like, I'm, I'm more than that one thing that became famous. Like, uh, sometimes I feel bad for some of the artists that sort of get pigeonholed into, like, one thing that they're known for. But on the other hand, if they're making a good living and they're happy making it, more power to them. Yeah, I also feel same. I don't judge it. But again, it's not way for me, you know, like to do one thing which works and just keep repeating it. It could be really good to sell. It could be also good for having feedback because, you know, already, okay, people like this. But for me, it's the interest in new projects, in new techniques, in new approaches, which drives me. So for me, this would not be enough maybe to continue doing it forever. I think I did too little of serial work, I would say, you know, that I stick with some topic for long enough. Especially in the past, I would like do a project of couple pictures and then be immediately interested in another idea and jump on it with this like new excitement, which now I'm trying to challenge myself a little bit in it with something I'm working on currently right now to get more seriality in understanding the topic better. But again, this is, I don't think there's any rule or any way how to do it good. It's just it's just to do it how you want, maybe, and to see what's the reaction, also your internal one or external one. Well, again, like when I was young, I keep saying that and I feel so stupid, like I, like I haven't matured since my youth. But in my training, and even as a professor, when I'm talking to my students, the tradition says like, when you're a photographer, you work in a series, like, so you do a whole portfolio. And tradition said that it was like, 13 to 15 images made a good portfolio. But of course, then on the other hand, these days, it's very much about like single image, you know, so like social media, like a single image, you make one beautiful photo, and people are like, Oh, my God, they're amazing. And they don't care about the other 13 or 14 photos that you made for that series. So like, are you is that that idea of like 13 to 15 images for a quote unquote series still a thing so like i'm sort of asking you (laughs) i have no idea you know like for me it's about like because for example i did some projects which had big reaction and i did six pictures and then people were like why are you not doing more of it and i was like i don't have nothing else to tell there you know like for me it's in it In something else, you need more images to tell what you want to tell, or it's about like portraiture and you want there like certain variety or like to, to show that it's not just that, it's also that, that and that. So actually, I don't know what's the standard in this. Well, that's the thing is like, I think there used to be a standard and I think that standard is no longer a standard. So like that, yeah. that, I think that that's gone away, which to me, I wish it had gone away earlier because there are lots of series of works that I had. Like I could make five or six magnificent images, but I couldn't make 13. And so like I never presented that like series of six because at the time it wasn't acceptable, but now it would be acceptable. 
I think maybe it makes more sense exactly like on the internet. Of course, it's not so important, but when you are doing story for a magazine or you are doing an exhibition which has a certain topic, of course, in every series, there's one or two images which are strongest. But the other images there are important as well because they are showing something else. And in every movie, in every book, in every photo story, there is something which is more evocative or which works more. But that doesn't mean that the book or any work can be just that. You also have to have, let's say, in a film or in a video work, some moments of calmness or like the whole graduation of what you are showing. And I think like this, when we think about this, it's often forgotten in photographic work as it always contains of single images. But when you look at the series, the way how you take the viewer when you have this possibility, so it's in the magazine or it's in the exhibition or maybe even on a platform, but it's a little bit more difficult, that it's more a journey than just like single shots. And I really like this idea. This is also why I started to work with VR, for example, because I did it with a project which was photographic project, but I was supposed to show it later, two years after I did a photographic project and my opinion on the topic I was working with changed. And I really felt by using VR where I used photographs mostly, But to take the viewer on a journey through the whole story, how the images were meant also in their continuity was for me incredible. You know, like suddenly these images were not just images, but they were like stops on the way somewhere. And it's a bit difficult in photography, I have to admit. That's why I'm sometimes working also with different media where this narrative storytelling it's more supported by the medium itself okay wait going back to the medium itself you never mentioned like so when you make works that are for galleries and potentially for sale for for exhibitions do you do editions yes how large an edition do you do i was said it's a bit too large <laughs> so i don't know if it's good to say i do some edition of nine some edition of six and some edition of three and wait, and somebody told you that's too large? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Who told I mean, you some that? people do edition of three only. Depends also. You know, I thought I thought these numbers are good for me. Personally, I think if you're under 10, I think that's a perfectly lovely amount. But I, you know, I think over 10, then it starts watering it down a bit much. But it's also interesting that in my university studies, I never learned about this. So... Then I had to, which is actually the basis of being artist also, to know how to sell your work, how to make edition, how to price it, how to, how to organize it. And I never learned this. So I had to learn it afterwards or like during, but at the end somewhere else. It's, I, I also entered it like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how this works, but like continuously I'm learning about it. And I'm also advising some friends who are starting to do it. Well, sadly, I am a professor and and I'm the one that has to do those recommendations and I'm fully aware and that's part of the reason why I even created this podcast in the first place is because I'm a professor and I'm trying to help the next generation 
learn their stuff. And if I'm not keeping up with the knowledge of how it works now, then I'm not educating them. Like you're saying in the academic industry, they're not, I don't feel like the current academic industry is very good with preparing artists for the business side of being an artist. They're great, you know, conceptual, technical craftsmanship. Great. They do a magnificent job of that as a general whole, depending on the school. But as far as like the business side of like how to choose print sizes, how to figure out prices, how to figure out print runs, they are horrible with that because they generally come back and say, well, it's kind of up to you kind of thing. Like, fuck you. Like, tell us an actual way to do this. There is a business model for this. Like, I also know of people that like, for instance, okay, so let's say you have a print run of nine. Are they all priced exactly the same or do they change price in a tiered pricing structure as the numbers go up? Yeah, I do with the change. Not everyone does it. And then people ask me, why do you do it? And I say, yeah, I think it really makes more sense (laughs) because I want people to buy something from me now. And I want them to know that buying it now also makes sense to support me earlier in my career where when I actually need it more. Hopefully, hopefully it goes that way. Uh, that and then when more is sold or this work is more exposed, it also gets more expensive. For me, this just makes sense. I thought actually that in the US, the schools or like the overall education opinion is more business oriented. Even my friends who studied in London, I felt really that they have in their universities much more pressure to make their work also work in this way. While, for example, in Vienna, I didn't experience it so much, but you know better. Well, admittedly, America is substantially more capitalistic when it comes to the arts than Europe is. I mean, Europe, as far as I can tell, like the biggest dramatic difference between the two is America is all about capitalism. So it's like you go out, you make art, you put it up on a wall, you sell it, you take the money from the sale and you reinvest it. Whereas Europe is much more about the idea of like you come up with an idea, you find a a sponsor, a grant, a residency or something to help support it. And so, so to a certain extent, the actual selling of the work is almost irrelevant because the production has been paid for already. I love that European idea. I really wish that had been my childhood. It's not easy. Actually, I started applying for grants only with one project, which is not finished yet. And I have to say it's very difficult. (laughs) Actually, it takes almost because I was doing it myself also. And exactly if you don't like writing, then it's very challenging. And it takes so much time that if I would maybe do a job in this time, I could finance it myself. But I wanted to try it, and it also worked out in some ways. But it's it's not easy way. It's not easy way at all. <laughs> it's also a lot of work. And I know some of my colleagues who are more experienced, they are already professionals in this. So it's when you know how to do it, it gets easier and easier. But if I would just rely on that, I wouldn't do almost anything. It is very time consuming and and sort of, to me, sort of soul crushing because like that idea is you, you put all this time, effort and energy into 
the hope and a prayer that somebody's going to potentially like your grant that you've you know worked for weeks or months on to try and prepare. Whereas if you do it the other way where you like make work and then from the sales of that work or from that commercial assignment or whatever, you then fund your project to a certain extent, that's a little more secure in many ways. It's, it gives you more freedom, you know, because for example, now we have some grant for a project which couldn't finance the whole project also, but probably we are not going to present it for the deadline. So I will have to return it. So it's also, you know, that you have that support, but this support works only if you deliver things in time. It's not unconditional. (laughs) So it also puts a different pressure on you. And I don't want to put project out just because of that, if it's not where it's supposed to be. So you have to also count with that, that if you don't fulfill this, then you have to return it, probably. Well, and that's a, yeah, that's another big pet peeve of mine is the amount of what I call like strings attached to support. Like there are constantly criteria you have to meet and like reporting things and all the different like, oh, well, and this grant is about ecological this or, you know, like they have all these different things. Yeah. And it's so difficult because I really want, like personally, my dream uh, this is what I want. I want patronage to come back so that like just a, a person with money or a corporation with money, I don't care who it is, says, I, we love what you do. Here's some money. Now keep doing what you do. My God. It exists. It exists, fortunately, but it's rare. Yeah. Where? I want to move there. I had also some like private support on this project, like in a, in a way of producer or something so it's not big sums of money also it's just but it's very helpful for our projects uh so for this particular project you know like just helping you to get it done it it exists but i also didn't met with it so often it was the first time when when this happened so it exists still but yeah it's also not possible to just rely on that i I usually don't like to rely on one thing, so I try all the possibilities. It's for the sake of the project also. So whatever you can do to make it happen, it's good. And with all the responsibilities included in this, that's like something you have to carry. But yeah, if I, I also say it, you know, like when I was young, not that I'm really old, but I also see the difference of how I was thinking that when you are looking at the work of some established photographers and basically you have no chance to do that, you know, like the production value of the set. I was very lucky to come from Slovakia because I got great locations for no money. So when some people saw our work abroad, they were like, wow, this production value. And we were like, there is no production value. It was just that it was different in country where I come from to get access there because it's a lot of these places. But when we are looking at, for example, some works which are really technical or done with a great set, it might be a bit disappointing for somebody who is in the beginning of their career and want to work this way because no one gives you this trust. Yeah. 
I mean, like when I look through your works, I keep wondering about the idea of like, have you always worked with, so let's say specifically with your photographic works and not the other, yeah. the VRs and all the videos and stuff. Have, have you always worked by yourself or do you have assistants? Do you have sort of crews that help you? Because some of your works have large amounts of props. Some of your works have large amounts of people, so your models involved in it, things like this. Um, so I'm just wondering like how much of it is sort of you or how much of it is trusted uh, sort of collaborators. My work is always collaborative, but I don't, I never had like assistant or anything. It's just like, especially with the earlier works, which are the works with bigger scenes, it's friends helping and then me helping friends or my friend Marek Werfel was helping me a lot with light. He's a photographer himself. Then I was helping with him with other things. So it, it's again, just this like helping each other approach. I would say even today, I don't work with assistant with light assistant sometimes because I'm not so good at it. But yeah, it's, uh, it was never that there would be really some like team involved. Of course, there was a lot of times other people involved. Then they are usually also credited helping, but in not so much in like professional way that we would have like call sheet and who is coming and so on. It was just real like that's also what I say to people who are starting that sometimes it's I'm speaking more of earlier work that it is just that you have to sit down on it and be like, okay, I really want to do this. I was putting these calls on Facebook. Okay, who can please like in two days and people just wrote, okay, I have like two hours of time. So even if you don't have this possibility of real like organizing team in this like highly commercial way, you can still do something pretty good if you invest time and really... Go for it, I would say. Might be difficult in other country also. Yeah, region, like certain, I could not, New York, you would not be able to pull that off. You know. I can imagine. I also studied in London for some time as an exchange, and it was very hard for me to do anything there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to shoot in any place in London, they're going to be like, you're going to have to rent the place for the day and, you know. Yeah, also with time of people and so on. It was In Berlin, I also experienced a lot of openness as I came here. People excited to be part of the project, to help and so on. So this, this has been great. But I know that in a lot of cities, countries, the time is much more valuable. Not that this would not be valuable time, but that people cannot so easily find a few hours to just participate in something. Which is totally understandable. Okay, I rarely do this, but I really want to ask you like a stupid technical question about your work. In a lot of your work, so I, I'm looking through like the series like Taste of Leaving, uh, Viva La Woman, Alice, Artificial Tears, and the Dior, I think. Is that what the one? Yeah, the Dior. Okay. You have this incredible softness and and like i mean the monochromatic i get you know and the and the muted everything i understand but when it comes to the lighting how did you get you almost have no shadows in almost all those photos is it just massive soft boxes or like how are you pulling that off except dr it's all daylight just how it was there wow 
No, that's why I say that in Dior, I work with very good gaffer, like designer, Quentin from Paris. I worked with him a couple of times who totally got what I wanted. I work with Marek a lot in Slovakia, but not on these projects. So these are all daylight. I really prefer to work with daylight as I'm not this techie type who really thinks of like different light sources and so on. So if it's possible, yeah, yeah. I know also like Marek, for example, who helped me with light, he does it so good and always does amazing light with like very complicated setup. But for me, I really like to move freely also. So, you know, once you have light set up, you cannot sometimes move so much and I like to keep it more spontaneous. So all of this, which you mentioned is daylight. All right. But last little thing, like what you, so you're from Slovakia, you studied in Vienna, now you're in Berlin. Why did you choose to move to Berlin? There are a couple of reasons or maybe they are not. I mean, I was always coming here quite a lot. It was also for like different than artistic reasons, just like, I would say even like party life, but it's not about going to party. It's about what kind of atmosphere, what kind of people are meeting there. And I think that stayed until this day. It's okay. You can say party life. It's fine. Like Yeah, but it's like you can go to party anywhere. But it's no, atmosphere. A Berlin, a Berlin party is a very different party than a Slovakian party. Yeah, that's true. But now, for example, this is not a part of my life at all. I would say after COVID at all. But it's still for me the place where I want to be right now. And it's because of the people. It's not really that like business-wise, it's the most... It's not really that I have most of my jobs in Berlin, actually not, but still it's the place where I like to return. I have my friends here, also friends who moved here from other countries, also some of my Slovak friends here and team of people I like to work with. And I think for me, the overall atmosphere of the city, of course, is busy. There is a lot of places you want to go to, a lot of things you want to see, good exhibitions. Things are happening, but of course it's not comparable to London or New York or Paris or other metropoles also in Europe, but or maybe this I named. But I think the quality of life and the pace that at the same time it's also more chilled, you know, like people have time to just meet and exchange People don't have to work two jobs to live here. It's much more affordable still. So I don't want to say that's the reason. I think that attracts a certain kind of people who are creative and who wants to live freely and also certain openness, like openness in your mind. Like, for example, in Slovakia, in my age, there is more like tradition that you should be already married. I'm not saying that this is how my friends are living or that how people are living, but I think people in Berlin are a little bit also extending their youth in a certain way. And that's also something I, I like, you know, that sometimes you go somewhere, you meet people of different age groups and most importantly of different backgrounds, different nationalities, 
you meet people from everywhere and that really broadens up your thinking, which, for example, is very different to Slovakia. You know, like this multicultural aspect of the city is making it great. Well, I like I've heard from people who have lived and worked in Berlin that Berlin is an amazing place to be creative. However, it's not an amazing place to make money being creative. So like to live and work there, it seems to do very well for, you know, artists, painters and other creatives. But as you said, like oftentimes a lot of their business, their sales, their commissions, whatever, often comes from out of town. But this is not problem nowadays, you know, like I know that for as photographer, it's kind of normal that for most of a photography project, I travel where it's happening, but that's not such a big part of my life, you know, like I can travel to do a job somewhere. I, I work a lot in Paris. I work a lot in London, in Milan. I mean, in the last years, I almost haven't traveled. So I'm kind of rather thinking before that. But And also it got much more reduced that people rather take person from there, which is changing just in last month. But when I think before, I was traveling a lot for work, but still came back here and have my life here. I also do some work here, but that's, I would not say that's the reason to be here. But I would also say it's not really limiting me in in work. I also am not in a stage of my life right now that I feel like I need to have like job every week. I rather want to be modest in this and take the job where I feel I can do it good and work on my development. So in the future, it, it can continue rather than just totally burning myself as I did in the past also, just like doing, 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 but actually really destroying yourself. So, All right, I've got one last question and then we'll wrap this up. You have a, a thing on your website and it's just called Work in Progress. And it's a very large woman with, or, or I shouldn't say woman, it's a figure in, with scaffolding. I'm, I, and because I'm only seeing it online, I'm not quite sure how that's supposed to manifest. Is this a, a VR thing? Is this a video thing? Is this an installation, a sculpture, a photograph? Like what's the... What's the the the, pro, the outcome of that work that I'm not getting from your website? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love this question because this is exactly how I really like the outcome to be. Even with photographs, that people are not sure if it's photograph or painting or render. This is a 3D render, which is made to look realistic. So it's a photograph. It's an image. It's an image. It's not a photograph which is rendered in 3D of the scene, which is built in 3D in collaboration with Anes Guch again for Barbara Tum Gallery in Berlin. So we were invited to do a virtual exhibition there and we modeled the whole gallery and put their 3D scan and built basically the whole exhibition almost as if it would be there. And this is for project new viewings, which the gallery is doing. Thanks to NS also, we could do it really in the way which looks realistic. And it was also really funny because once we released it and then the photograph was also shown there, a couple of photographs, because you can do 
a lot of photographs from the scene. It's a real scene, like in theater. And you just move there with a the camera. And then people visited it and they actually thought this is really there. So they were like, wow, I have to visit. This is amazing. So this was kind of funny and nice. And then we were thinking with Barbara to actually do it there somehow because there was such a, like enthusiasm about it. So this is a 3D render. Okay, that makes much more sense. Thank you. This has been absolutely lovely. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's it. Okay, thank you. And thank you for listening, whoever is listening. I hope our conversation was some balance of entertainment and or educational, because I know I've learned a lot from doing this podcast. I've learned many things I've done wrong and many things that I need to put more effort into for the rest of my career. I hope this podcast has inspired and assisted you in becoming more successful in your creative endeavors. If you like the podcast, we would appreciate a five-star rating and maybe even a nice comment would also be greatly appreciated. I'd like to thank Nebulous1966 for their comment and five-star rating. Thank you, Nebulous66. Please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Jakub Czerny, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. Thanks, Pete. The Wise Fool is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants, our partner organizations, are all available in the show notes, or you can find more information about the podcast on Instagram at the Wise Fool Pod or on our website, which is simply wisefoolpod.com. <laughs>